see to them. You're just a freak. Like me. But knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Why so serious? Where is he? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. Right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fight in here. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Mr. Wayne. trash genre cast where we do film studies scholarship that you would do in a film studies course on movies that will never make the syllabus and uh, we're here gathered together talking about a movie called the dark knight but we can't talk about that yet because first and foremost we must introduce the co-hosts regular guest host to my left if you would sir hi i'm nick sanford i'm 25 and i live with my mom excellent to my right sir if you introduce yourself my name is dalton stewart and i'm counting on it Transmitting live from an undisclosed FBI safe house, Mr. Arthur Gordon, as soon as he gets done with the witness protection program, will be able to be back with us. But Arthur, go ahead and say hello. Hello, I am Arthur Gordon, and whatever doesn't kill me simply makes me stranger. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. Good to hear from you. I'm glad you're here. We're going to move on now. We're going to talk a bit about this movie. You didn't introduce yourself, good sir. Oh, my name is Dustin Sells, and I'm so glad to be here with you all talking The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's Oscar-winning amazing role, and uh, we're just very, 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 very excited to talk about this movie. Now, this is how the show works if you're a first-time listener. This is not a review show. There are lots of review shows out there who are going to talk about how this movie works and what is good and whether it's a recommend or not. We don't do that. We do analysis. We will do a quick review here in just a few moments following our synopsis, but after that, spoilers, 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 it's all going to come out and you're going to find out the terrible, terrible truth that the boat sinks at the end of the movie. And uh, we'll be talking uh, about all that spoilerific spoilerage when we get there, sir. It's funny, because there actually are boats in this movie. There are. <laughs> I chuckled. And they don't sink. They do not. Correct. Well, they might, off-screen. Yeah, I don't know. What if they get saved, and then the captain's a dumbass and hits a buoy anyway, and <laughs> they all die? So we begin, though, with a synopsis of the film. We're going to do it because we want to do it live, in the air, with the voice of the Dollar Theater. Mr. Dalton Stewart, if you would, sir. With Batman, Gordon, and Harvey Dent, bunch of assaults on the map. They let the clown out of the box. The Joker. 
bent on turning Gotham on itself and bringing any heroes down to his level. That's really hard. And indecipherable. But it's okay, <laughs> so is the plot. We're going to move right along and uh, talk about this movie and just what we think about it, how it works or doesn't work. From the Mirror Space Station, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think about this film? I'd kind of grown bored with this film for a while and started criticizing little things with it, background performances, uh, minor things really, but I really became cynical with it. Uh, but after having taken a break from it and revisiting it here for the show, I realized just how good it truly is. Uh, the performances from the main cast are great, the story plays out well, I kind of wish that they had gone in more with Dent because other than Victor Freeze, he's such a tragic character and I really love what they do with him, especially in storylines like The Long Halloween, which I'll speak more of later. Um, but for all of those people who don't like Dark Knight Rises uh, because of plot holes, watch this again. There are so many plot holes here, it's ridiculous. Uh, so Dark Knight Rises, haters, I uh, just need to kind of get over that whole thing, please. Fascinating thoughts, Arthur. Excellent. We appreciate that oh so much. Mr. Nick Sanford, does this work? Uh, how many trash cans is it worthy? What do you think? I think it's 158 million trash cans out of 158 million because that's the dollar amount it made on its opening weekend. I love this movie. I'm wearing a shirt of it right now. I'm wearing Batman boxers right now. I have a framed poster of this film in my mom's house where I also live. I bow down to it and pray every time I go to make a movie. I worship this film. It's probably my eighth favorite movie ever. When Batman says, swear to me, Nick obeys. Yeah, I sure do. Thank you so much, Mr. Nick Sanford. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think? It's a big piece of dog shit. I'm kidding. This movie's fantastic. What do you think? of a crazy person? Okay, I'll put the gun down. <laughs> I like Harvey. The Dark Knight. No. No. <laughs> I like The Dark Knight a whole, whole lot. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, I don't really know what more you want from me. Uh, the ending makes me cry, like a like a small, inspired child every single time. And he says he's a silent protector, and uh, he's a dark knight. Watchful protector. He's a dark knight, and then <laughs> cuts black, and I just... Tears, just man tears. And also, it's just such a fun, wonderfully plotted thriller. There's some really weird 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 line deliveries from like tertiary characters like turkeys like, on, on thanksgiving, thanksgiving. yeah turkeys on thanksgiving um if funny he told me something similar click it just he just shoots uh, it's just just weird just and it, see i don't understand what it is about nolan films that just attract really bad secondary actors it's uh, only in it's only in those dark Knight specifically movies. you're right specifically in the dark knight movies in Inception, it's fine. Yeah, it's well, there's no, like, any secondary characters, I guess, in those films. But yeah, in all the Dark Knight movies, the cops of Gotham are just like, Hey, you! With the sign that says the end is nigh. Come be in a movie. Um, and I really, other than that, I, I just, again, some weird line readings, but other than that, I still don't know what Batman was doing with the bricks and the, the minigun in his basement. Um, Christopher Nolan doesn't know. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows... How that should, how that equals fingerprints. He should have made it louder, though. Oh my god, it's so loud. It's <laughs> deafening. I'm sure you made it loud enough, sir. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I also uh, echo the excellent reviews given by all three of my co-hosts and uh, how how well we received this movie. I, uh, the one thing I think that troubled me is that it's it's so relentless 
it is just, oh my goodness, and there's another wrinkle, and there's another wrinkle, that it does get a little exhausting in watching it. You really need a, a, a large show coke full of caffeine and sugars to just keep your body going as you do so. Because when Gordon puts the gun to Heath Ledger's head, I think I guess at the end of the second act, you really feel like you should be done, and then it keeps going. And there is always that sense I have when I watch this movie, like, oh my gosh, what next? That's and good, and it's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that you've got to be ready for the event. If you are at all tired, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go on. I just, you're James Brown. You just can't go on. <laughs> and, and that is the sensation that you have uh, watching the movie. But I, I don't really mean that's a critique. I still give it 175 trash cans out of 176. It's, I, mean, I like it that much. It's pretty fabulous. That was so specific. It wasn't it. <laughs> and so let's move on, though. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for all of that. We're not here to do reviews. Anybody can do reviews, and everybody has done reviews. It's ranked very, very highly on the IMDb, always going back and forth between those top five slots. And so we all know everybody loves this movie. What we want to talk about, what we really want to discuss is what this movie means. And let me tell you about what we're not going to do. We're not going to talk about 9-11. No. Yes, it's about 9-11. It's about the security state. It's about all of that stuff. And everybody knows it, and everybody writes about it. And so we want to do analysis on the show, but we also want to do, I don't know, interesting analysis, novel analysis, new analysis, and so we're not going to play that game, so that's off, yes, it's about that. How are we going to deal with 9-11 and terrorism? Absolutely. Now, let's talk about something else. Nick, your turn. Oh, Go. I hate you. <laughs> Alright, well, my analysis that I bring to it, um, a lot of people, as of late, seem to say that the 1970s were the golden age of the blockbuster, and they were correct, and they always say, why don't they make movies like that anymore? Because that's how they all sound whenever they say those specific words. And to them I say, Watch a Christopher Nolan film. Watch Christopher Nolan's last three films, starting with The Dark Knight. If no, if anyone is doing films that are heavily inspired by the 1970s, it's Christopher Nolan. Uh, he's taking things. He's taking, like like Jaws, for example. We have a dun 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 dun. The music that conditions us to be ready for the monster. About halfway through The Dark Knight, every time the mm, the little hissy fuzzy music. Thing comes the Howard up, Zimmer thing. We know the Joker's out there. We get scared. Um, I think of The Exorcist, actually, whenever I watch this film, just in its no BS approach to material, to what could be very ridiculous material. Um, even the way he shoots films. He shoots on film and he finishes on film. He doesn't, like, color grade uh, with a digital intermediate. He does it all physical. He... I mean, he doesn't actually process the film himself and color grade it himself, but Wally they do Fister it. does that. They, they do it all on film. In fact, he goes the opposite direction of what most filmmakers are doing these days, which are, you know, they're all going, it's 3D, it makes it more immersive or whatever. He's going to IMAX, which is a giant resolution, giant, huge resolution that puts you, I think, better into the action than 3D could ever hope to achieve. I think of Star Wars whenever I watch The Dark Knight, honestly. I, you know, like the uh, the big truck chase in the middle of the film. I think of the Millennium Falcon going through, you know, the uh, meteoroid whatever in Empire Strikes Back. That's what I think of. And even, even the fact, even the way he's doing action sequences in this film, particularly that big set piece in the middle, he's holding shots on for a very, very long time, the way they would have done in the 70s, in a 70s action film, more so than some stupid born ultimatum, you know, whatever, born movie, 
or they're just, you know, the cameraman's having a seizure and the director's like, no, let's just let him keep going. And here they hold shots on. We get to see what's going on in a way that's very evocative of the 1970s, I think. I think uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is another one I think of, just in the way that, you know, it's just one big exhausting set piece after another, and it just keeps going and going and going, and you're just tired by the end of it, and that's why, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. You're talking stylistic stuff. Yes. Formalist stuff. Well, not even, I mean, not even necessarily, you know, Nolan frames his movies a lot different than Spielberg would or than Lucas would or than William Friedkin would or any of the big, you know, uh, Ridley Scott is probably his biggest influence visually, I guess. Um, but, I mean, it's not even the way he's framing stuff. It's just his aesthetic. He doesn't, he uses, he actually builds big sets. He builds or shoots on location. He does it all for real. They flipped a semi over. There is a gravity to all of it and an actual texture and atmosphere. You feel like you could reach out and touch what is on the screen. And most filmmakers are shying away from that. But he's going the complete opposite direction. He's doing the big budget 1970s thing where they're going to do it all for real. They're going to get it all in camera, or as much of it in camera as possible. That's why I love it so much. You, you, you feel like you're in it, you know? There's, there's gravity to all of it. No, I think you're absolutely right on. And I think that sort of thought about, just again, the formal aesthetic of the film is something that we ignore too often. And uh, I, I appreciate uh, I, I think, well, I really think, I, was, ah, I forgot to say this. I think more so than Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, being a trilogy, I think The Dark Knight Inception and The Dark Knight Rises are actually, is actually kind of more of a complete trilogy, at least aesthetics-wise, because that was the, this The Dark Knight was the first film where Nolan sort of started eschewing, eschewing. I'm, just, I'm really I'm as tired as you are. He threw out narrative trickery for the most part because this you know Memento is literally backwards and forwards simultaneously. Uh, Insomnia is Al Pacino being crazy. Uh, Memento is, or not, uh, not Memento, um, uh, Prestige is all over the place. Batman Begins even has, you know, at least in the first half, has a bunch of flashbacks and a lot of, you know, just going all over the place. Dark Knight is beginning to end. And I think this is where Nolan in his career kind of started. I mean, Inception, you know, which came after The Dark Knight, is still kind of all over the place, in a, you know, in a good way. You know, it's that's what that film's about. But The Dark Knight is the first movie where he started becoming less interested in narrative mechanics and more interested in actual experience. That, to me, is where the 70s truly comes from. Star Wars is not a complicated film. It's a film you experience and feel and get pulled through. That's what he did with The Dark Knight, and, that's, and he improved, I think, with that, with Inception, and kind of leveled off a little bit with rises which which to me i think is is visually his best film because that film you basically turn the sound off and know about what's going on oh, that's and, gorgeous and rises just because you know it's he you know was going back to the days of uh, silent films and all that but with dark knight that's where he truly said i assume let's do experience let's pull them through this you know let's pull them through the tale and it's a relatively simple tale the dark knight is complicated yes but you know, morally, that's that's the point. The the things that the film is about is what's complicated. The film itself is just beginning to end, you know? And that's... Now I'm done. Excellent. Well, I thank you for that. I think you're right on, and I appreciate everything you're saying. 
and all those things, the way you say them, are very, very good, Mr. Nick Sanford. So I appreciate all of that sort of, again, the blockbuster, aesthetic, immersive technology and all of that sort of conversation about those aspects of film. I think that's too often um, silent in the conversation. So I appreciate that all very much. All right, we're going live from his volcano supervillain's lair. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you to The Dark Knight Rises? For The Dark Knight, I want to go to the well once again and talk about one of my favorite subjects, inter- and intratextuality. Uh, just to quickly sum it up, this refers to the act of a filmmaker or artist directly or indirectly quoting another work, a book, film, art piece, paintings, uh, music, uh, to add additional levels to their own work. This is something that we talked about with Grath of Khan, and it is something that I feel Nolan is very good at incorporating into his work, especially within the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, we see it in a number of ways here. Intertextuality within the series uh, shows throughout this uh, film series as we see the Scarecrow showing up in something of a cameo role here, and again, he'll show up in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, this is a nice way of tying those three things together. Um, it also shows that the ante has been upped as far as crime in Gotham. Uh, in Batman Begins, Scarecrow is just a major force attacking the city. Uh, yet in Dark Knight, he is relegated to just a dealer on the streets. Uh, this is unique for the Batman film series on a whole, as it truly shows the films connected within its own universe. The original four films were all standalone, with Alfred being the only constant through all four films. The other connection for us here is Rachel, who, while played by a different actress, once again shows up and draws out a personal and emotional depth from Bruce Wayne, which would ultimately motivate him more to put up the cape than his sense of revenge would push him to keep it on. Rachel's love conquers all for Bruce. This sort of intertextuality allows for a sense of wholeness across the films. As opposed to the original four films, Nolan's films work together to build and grow the different characters within each, namely Bruce, Alfred, and Jim Gordon. Moving into intertextuality, uh, we see several quotations coming from Batman's printed canon, uh, namely drawing on the storyline in The Long Halloween, which is a phenomenal Bat story. It gives us one of the best looks at Two-Face's origin, and it also is where much of the team-up between Gordon, Batman, and Dent is based out of. Uh, their ultimate goal in Long Halloween is to team up and bring down the mob they thought echoed here in Dark Knight. Also in Long Halloween, Dent fakes his death to catch a criminal. Uh, and this is quoted in the film when Gordon does the same thing. We also see the killing joke quite a bit, as that is where much of the relationship between Batman and Joker is pulled from. Uh, Joker's anarchic and mysterious ways are pulled from the pages of Killing Joke. Nolan also decides to move outside of Batman's canon as he quotes other films. The opening sequence and several thematic elements uh, within pay homage to Michael Mann's Heat, uh, which focuses on a group of bank robbers and the police lieutenant who is trying to shut them down. Uh, Pacino's lieutenant in Heat seems to influence Gordon's portrayal in Dark Knight quite a bit. And we also see a bank manager here played by William Fickner. Uh, Fickner also had a role in Heat, further showing the impact of that film here and that influence and that quotation. All of this is very interesting, but what makes Dark Knight even more interesting is how instantly influential it became. Uh, the Dark Knight has seemingly inspired every major remake and reboot uh, since it came out. Star Trek Into Darkness, Skyfall, and The Avengers all directly lift from the plot of Dark Knight, uh, namely the captured villain. Uh, Man of Steel picks up on tonal elements in its reboot of the Superman story. Uh, and this type of intertextuality, both within the film and also inspired by the film, uh, speaks volumes to its place in the cinema and how it will be heralded in years to come as arguably one of the best movies probably of the er first, first decade of the 2000s. 
uh, if not of the last couple of decades on the whole, it's that good of a film because of that genre elevation that it, it seeks to achieve in becoming more than just a Batman story in that it becomes this crime narrative and city breakdown discussion of crime and politics and Batman just kind of seems to be there to motivate it, uh, which is interesting and a good place to go to learn uh, if you're going to be making comic book movies. And that seems to be uh, the way we're going for the next few years. So there you go. Well, we're all going to have to think about that for quite some time, Arthur. <laughs> really we're, just dropped a, a bomb on us, I yeah, think. Yeah, we're really going to have to consider that. I, I appreciate what you say, though, sir. That's excellent. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? Well, when we decided to take 9-11 off the table, I was very happy and also very terrified because I've really never considered this film in much of any other capacity other than Joker as a super terrorist and Batman as the U.S. surveillance state. So, so I really had to put some thought into this, but I still kept coming back to the morality of this film. Nick mentioned at the end of his film, that is where The Dark Knight is complicated, is its morality. Um, so that's really what I just kind of started thinking about and, and weighing uh, and, and considering. And, and I started to wonder whether or not Batman is the ultimate worst thing for Gotham. Now, I say that, and I don't mean to be inflammatory, but that was just... Bear with me. A little bit ham-fistedly at times, the comics and the films uh, of Batman have considered whether or not Batman is responsible for the Joker. Uh, in Tim Burton's Batman, it is very directly. He pushes them into the thing, and they tie their origins together very closely. Uh, I, I don't think it needs to be that clear. In The Dark Knight, however, uh, it's much less clear and yet more clear. While they aren't responsible for each other, the Joker didn't happen to kill Batman's parents 20 years ago, and Batman didn't uh, become responsible for the Joker not just being some street criminal. That's not how he got those scars. No, it's not, and that's what's important. In The Dark Knight, the Joker is just some kind of ethereal god of chaos that we really don't know anything about. And I don't mean god of mischief like Loki. I mean a just hard... He's a shark from Jaws. Exactly. He's he's the alien. He is everything. He is evil and soulless and we know nothing about him. And that's the way he needs to be. But what we have to consider is whether or not Batman is responsible. Alfred talks a lot about uh, in this film the idea of escalation. You took on the mob, and then they turned to something they didn't understand to deal with you. Without Batman, there is no Joker. There's just mobsters. And yeah, the mobsters were pretty bad for Gotham. But they also didn't have Psycho Clown running around. Now, granted, if it wasn't for Batman, Ra's al Ghul would have just, you know, killed everyone in Gotham in the first film. But, I digress. We're going to stick to the Dark Knight for the purposes of thinking about this. Sure. More than creating the Joker, though, he does another thing, which is he encourages Harvey Dent and I almost said Arthur Gordon. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> and Jim Gordon to start breaking the rules. And again, in the course of this film, this all feels necessary. It all feels like something that has to happen. It's like, well, obviously they're doing that. That's what they need to do. But when you consider it just in terms of whether or not what they're doing is morally acceptable in this system of rules they have sworn to uphold and work within, Batman stands as this paragon, this symbol that says, sometimes the shackles of systems keep us from being able to proceed. And he is not incorrect. 
But Harvey Dent, as an elected Democratic official, is responsible for those systems and upholding them, and starts issuing warrants to Jim Gordon, who will tell him only the names of the banks and nothing else about why he wants a warrant to hit these banks. These are things to consider, and I just think it's, it's interesting to do it. And I think Batman knows that he's wrong in the end, because in the end, preserving Harvey Dent's legacy is more important than the Batman. That's why he says, I have to go, and why Jim Gordon says, we have to chase him. Because he's the, bat, the hero that Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs. Gotham needs somebody that can exist as a testament to the effectiveness of the rule of law and democratic governments. Batman is not. Batman is a fascist. He's a rich man that punches poor people in the face. And Batman, I think on some level in this film, recognizes that about himself and realizes that once the threat that only could he, he could defeat is gone, he disappears. And I think that's why Batman works in these Christopher Nolan films, is that he kind of seems to only show up when he's needed and then goes away. He's not trolling the streets, beating up, you know, poor drug dealers every day. He shows up to defeat assassins, a terrorist clown, and a wrestler assassin. And then he's gone. So I just think it's interesting to watch the, these Batman films, particularly The Dark Knight, uh, the one we watched for this, and just question whether or not one, Batman's really any good as a person, and whether or not he's really any good at his job, which is to be inspiring the people of Gotham. Um, when really all he seems to do is inspire Harvey Dent to be a loose cannon uh, cop on the edge with no rules who it turns into a crazy person. Um, again, I don't know how valid that is, but I think for me watching this film this time, and I've seen The Dark Knight so many times at this point, watching the film this time and really kind of considering whether or not maybe Batman isn't really that good of a good guy. Maybe he's really just kind of a dick with some, some issues over his parents, um, and he's just overcomplicating and escalating I think that's an interesting way to try and watch this film, and that's what I tried to do this time. Excellent. I appreciate that a lot. I think that's, that's right on, Dalton, and uh, I think you're bringing some brilliant analysis there. Uh, the analysis I would want to bring, I want to talk a little bit about human duality and how the characters in the film sort of function in a way to help us deal with the, uh, in, in Eastern parlance, the yin and yang of human beings, how we are both good guys and bad guys, and they'll the characters who are the most tilted in the film, the, the characters who are the uh, most disappointed, uh, who are the biggest wrecks of human beings, are those who only embrace the yin or the yang, only the light or the dark. We've got Harvey Dent embracing only the light and the justice and the law, and of course he expects certain things to follow because of that good will win out, and of course it doesn't, and that's what pushes him over the edge. And so even in his evilness, he, he does the Anton Chigurh thing, and he flips the coin uh, because it really things, did Anton Chigurh do the well, two-face thing. However, the chicken and egg uh, chase works. But the point being that the film is saying that there's only one justice here, and that is this sort of random fairness. And again, he's still trying to be the white knight. He's still trying to be just the good guy, just this sort of agent of justice. And he feels disappointed because of the failure of uh, humanity well, that's to, the thing to live about, up to that. That's the thing about chaos, isn't it, Dustin? Right. Which brings us to the Joker. It's fair. And, and the Joker, on the other hand, is totally the bad guy in total embrace of wickedness and just, again, that evil shark sort of stuff. 
doesn't care and will will try to turn everyone else to darkness. That there there cannot be again any sort of mottling of dark and light. And that's part of his great big boat experiment is that he's going to get these people to do this. And of course, it fails him as well. Which is actually a classic uh, philosophical ethical quandary. It's it's based on a very famous mor- morality parable uh, or uh, just a kind of a. A general morality brain teaser of what's right. the right thing to do in this situation. It's based on a very famous one. Yes, and, and so he's he's playing that game. And he's betting on black. He's betting on darkness. He's betting on evil. And he thinks that if he pushes people long enough, if he pushes and kind of shows uh, the, the 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 man behind the curtain, the veneer of just living righteously, just living in the, the sort of white light sort of way, then uh, everyone will give it up, abandon it totally, and the city will descend into anarchy. Now, what Batman and Jim Gordon do, on the other hand, is they both do the right thing and the wrong thing. They do the wrong thing sometimes for the right reasons. Batman makes a choice to do this immensely immoral surveillance project with the cell phones, but he knows it, and he's doing what he has to do because he realizes there are steps he's going to have to take to catch this man, and that's why he doesn't want to be the Batman anymore. He, he wants out of it because he doesn't want to step over that line, but he realizes he can't always be just a hero, just the white knight, just the good guy in a black cape, and he is willing to embrace sort of, again, the not only the crimes of Harvey Dent that he didn't commit, but he's also willing to do terrible things in order to get what needs to be done, done. He embraces a gray instead of a black. And what Joker wants him to do is to break his one rule, the killing people rule. And what Batman does is he still remains a good guy, but instead of saying, okay, fine, I gotta slide off in the darkness and just be this terrible person like the Joker wants him to do, he says, no, I'll just break a different rule. I'll break some other rules. And I'll and I won't choose your black option. I'll choose gray. Same with Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon lies about his own death, and and he's as deceitful as you mentioned earlier uh, to the uh, the district attorney's office and all these other things he has to do just to get the job done. And he perpetuates the lie thereafter. And he's a good guy. He's doing some of the right things for the wrong reasons. He's he's taking a wrong step in the right direction. And by doing that, he is again embracing both a yin and a yang, and because he's being pragmatic about it, he's trying to do something with it and move forward. And of course, the best wisdom traditions always embrace this sort of idea, and I've mentioned yin and yang, which is heavily Buddhist. The Christian tradition, when it's at its best, embraces both concepts of human beings as both sinners and as saints. And uh, the writings of St. Paul will talk about this great standing he has because of faith, and then at the same time he'll call himself chief of sinners. That there's this recognition that you can't be both, because if you just say, I'm the bad guy, and I'm gonna embrace my badness, that's not gonna work out for you. If you say, oh, I'm just actually a good guy and I'm trying to hide and you know, uh, insulate and build barriers to my righteousness and these are the lines I won't cross, it'll build this level of expectation of the world that they're going to be ultimately disappointing. And the best human behavior is to recognize you're not just the good guy, you're not just the bad guy, and deal with that and move forward. Now, sometimes Batman doesn't deal with it quite so well or Jim Gordon deal with it, but perhaps Alfred deals with that light and dark best of the characters in the film and it still isn't easy and it isn't neat. It's complicated and it's messy, but it's also beneficial uh, to existence as human beings. And so I think you don't want a two-sided coin. You want a human being with both sides of the coin on the same place. You don't want paradox. You want parallax. You want them both working alongside one another. And I think there seems to be that argument working throughout the film. That's the analysis I would bring. Thank you everyone for that brilliant analysis. But now comes the time where we must choose. You must choose, but choose wisely. 
and we're not going to get to flip a coin. You've got to make a choice, and you have to give reason for said choice. We're going to say, does this movie belong on the shelf or the trash, and what else or instead should we watch? Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, I, w- I would say that obviously it belongs on the shelf. Um, it's such an important film, not only in that it re- kind of I feel like it reinvigorated the blockbuster in a lot of ways where it said just because a film's big and loud and silly doesn't mean it also can't be smart and have something to say and really try to get at something and really try to engage with its audience and encourage discourse. Um, you know, it's it's you know, we talk a lot about on this show about trying to take the films that seem dumb and make them smart or try to find something worth talking about in them. I think The Dark Knight is is one of those films that we really don't have to work that hard on it because it is such a there's so much to it. There's so much going on in its head. When on the surface it's just it's just a superhero movie. Um, but that's something that I find valuable about this film and 2008 was such a fun year in film and such a really kind of a solid year in film and I think it's kind happening. Of <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Um, but yeah, I, I like The Dark Knight a lot, obviously. Uh, you know, 37 out of 38 trash cans. What, I mean, what do you want? Uh, recommending to go with it, I, I would also uh, recommend a, a much maligned film that I'm kind of a defender of. I would say you check out a film from just shy of a year later, and that's uh, 2009's Watchmen. Um, which is another film that says, yes, superheroes are people in capes punching other people, but can't we consider them as something more and something kind of interesting and morally ambiguous, and shouldn't we try to have fun but still try to take superheroes seriously every once in a while and consider what a serious world with serious superheroes looks like? Um, So I I would recommend you do that. I would also recommend a a film from the 90s, uh, and that's Heat by Michael Mann, which is not a film I love, but I think it parallels really nicely with The Dark Knight. They pair well together because it's about this um, immovable object of the law and this unstoppable force of, of villainy and bank robbery coming together in a lot of very big uh, set pieces that are all driven by practical effects. So I feel like that kind of that makes them pair very nicely. Finally, uh, I would lastly recommend Silence of the Lambs because it's all about a psychopath stealing the show um, and only being in about 20 minutes of the film and just really railroading every second of it in a good way. That's a fair pick. I like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's there's so much overlap between Hannibal Lecter and the Joker in this film, just in the way they are presented in the film uh, and the purpose they serve in the film. Because what happens at the end of The Dark Knight is actually Two-Face kind of ends up being the final uh, big boss and in The Silence of the Lambs, nobody remembers Buffalo Bill, but he's actually the final adversary of the film. So again, not only in how they operate in the film, but also structurally, structurally, yeah. exactly. villain and antagonist. There's exactly, precisely. Excellent. I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolster. Mr. Nick Sanford, shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead. Well, this is the shelf, obviously. You silly girl. Why would you even ask me that? Um, yeah, this is definitely on the shelf. Uh, else or instead? My else. I've got a couple else's. One would be there will be blood because it's a film about. Well, it's mainly it's a film uh, from a filmmaker who's in the same generation as Nolan. They were even born the same year, about a month apart from each other. Um, it has a, an Oscar-winning performance by a very good actor playing a villain, essentially, and it has an experimental soundtrack behind it. Uh, my main pick for an else would be 
Casablanca because I think what the Dark Knight ultimately is at the very very end of it is it's a man who has to give up what he cares about most Batman you know the thing he cares about most is being an icon for Gotham being the beacon of light being the thing that can change every you know everyone looks at him and says oh we can do good he has to give that up for the better of Gotham what does Rick have to do at the end of Casablanca? He has to give up his love for Bergman. I forgot the character's name. Ilsa. 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 He, has to, he has to give her up for the good of the world, basically. You know, a big section of the world. And that's why I think those two films connect thematically very, very well. That is a solid pick. This looks like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. It sure does. I, I like that until a you've, lot. Until you've learned how much of your stuff I've stolen from your house. Oh, it might be a problem. Uh, of course, I'm going to say Shelf. It already, I already own it. I was looking at it as uh, you guys came in today to record. It's it's fantastic, and it's a movie you should all see. So what what else you should watch? Obviously, Cool Runnings. Uh, perhaps Racing <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're funny when you're sleepy. Do that more. <laughs> Seriously. Um, what I, what I would recommend is the, the film I would really recommend uh, that you watch, with well, the two films that I would recommend that you watch alongside this one, is another comic book film that does quite gritty, sort of realistic fantasy sort of things that are, again, unbelievable but believable and are very interesting to look at where there's a bad guy that you're very interested but he is sort of a good guy, and that's Brandon Lee's The Crow. I think it's definitely a worthwhile watch. Also, in terms of just police story complexity and trying to negotiate right and wrong, light and dark, good and bad, you should look at Martin Scorsese's The Departed all the time. And it's a movie you should just watch weekly anyway because it's fantastic. And so those are my recommends. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for all of that. Let's move this conversation on to a place where the conversation can keep on going with the rest of our dear listeners. And that happens by that magical means we all know as social media. Dalton, you know anything about that stuff? Dustin, social media is what I do best, actually. What I do is I take social media and I just kind of turn it in on itself. I mean, look at what I've done to the social media landscape with just a few ad mission mentions and a couple of a couple of retweets. You know what I've noticed, Dustin? Nobody panics when social media goes according to plan. Even the plan's horrifying. Tomorrow, if I call you up and I tell you that a 14-year-old uh, will use the N-word on Facebook or that my grandmother will post some sort of propaganda about the Democratic Party on Tumblr, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that that Patton Oswalt is going to troll variety, well, that everybody loses their minds. You introduce a little anarchy, upset social media, and everything becomes Twitter. I'm an agent of Twitter. And you know the thing about Twitter? It's fair. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from the Twitter, Mr. Dalton? We do have a little bit. Uh, I tweeted a photograph uh, while we were, recording la- we were recording last week. Sorry, I forgot how to speak for a moment. Uh, of Nick Sanford with sunglasses on upside down uh, and mentioned that we would be discussing and breaking open the Matrix uh, and Alexandra Bohannon, that's at Alex V Books, a uh, one-time co-host on this show, asked, 
uh, or rather mentioned that she wasn't quite sure which pill uh, Nick Sanford had taken. We also had a mention from Kayla Masters, who's very excited about an upcoming project with his uh, website that hosts his uh, podcast, The Cast Beyond the Wall, which is a Game of Thrones podcast that's obviously on hiatus currently. Uh, but he mentioned that he was really excited uh, to be working on a project for We've Got This Covered, a site that he podcasts for. Uh, Dustin and uh, former co-host Kayla Masters are going to be working on a project where they're going to talk about The Strain. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's correct. Is it going to be a podcast? Is it going to be a... Uh, it's going to be just like The Cast Beyond the Wall. But So a weekly the, breakdown the of The Strain. Mm-hmm. I like that. I hope you guys enjoy that. Apparently I know things about vampires. Oh, a thing so or two I've that, heard. That's, that's how I'm in. A thing or two that I've heard. Well, Dustin, congratulations on that side project of yours. Anyway, Caleb just mentioned that he was excited about that. And I am obviously excited about it as well. We retweeted that. Um... Finally, uh, Brad uh, Leperson, who is now has now, you know how on Twitter you've got your at name and then the other name. The the new not at name is the L is silent. So thank you for that, Brad. That's quite hilarious. Uh, Brad mentioned that he is actually fired up for Dracula Untold. So thanks for seconding or rather thirding that opinion. Uh, finally, I, I have decided to stop mentioning in feedback Brigham's tweets and I've decided to start referring to them as uh, News Corner with Brigham Cole because most of his feedback is typically some uh, pop culture stories that we would be interested in. First of all he tweeted uh, an article from uh, at IGN uh, at IGN, he tweeted us an article from IGN uh, just kind of uh, giving us some updates on the Preacher TV series that uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are working on uh, that is, again, the adaptation of the uh, really famous Garth Enos comic book uh, that is Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are doing for AMC. Um, and they just kind of sent out some uh, pictures of their scripts. IGN basically just following it up and said, hey, this is what uh, we're doing right now, writing some dialogue, that kind of thing. So just a little update on that. Um, he also sent us a link to Fandango, uh, which was a tickets to, did you see this? Tickets to something called Monty Python Live, mostly. Mm. It's a three-hour uh, event. I don't know if it's actually still playing, but I just saw that and was like, that is awesome. Um, so, pretty cool. Uh, a, a somewhat uh, Monty Python reunion being broadcast or simulcast live-ish to a couple of theaters for three hours. So I thought that was kind of neat. So go to Fandango, Monty Python Live, mostly, uh, and check out more about that. So that was feedback from Twitter and News Corner with Brigham Cole. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Of course, there are other means of social media by which we're available. We're available at Facebook, which is at www.facebook.com forward slash Good Trash Genrecast. That's all one word. We're also available on Tumblr, goodtrashgenrecast.tumblr.com to be found there. You can always follow the show via iTunes. There's a follow button if you want to be a member at Podbean. This has its own sort of social media function we can be listened to at Stitcher. We love feedback on all of those locations. If you write a review on iTunes, it would help us oh so much. And we would love to hear that feedback and read that review live over the air. So please give us the opportunity to do that. And uh, we'd just love to hear more from you all. Also, we're noticing the statistics button has changed a little bit over at Podbean. And so we're knowing more of who you are or where you're from more specifically. And I'm going to call out a few locations in which we have dear listeners. Apparently there's a quite dedicated listenership in the state of Maryland. Yeah, I 
Strange. And Do you I don't know, know anyone in Maryland? I don't. My aunt lives there, but she's like 75. I don't so think it's her. No, probably her not. Bridge Club. No. So, dear listener, I don't know if you're from Maryland and you listen to the show, but I would love to hear that. If you want to tweet us or email us, which is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, or again, write that review, and just tell us your city and state, or perhaps nation, we have several international listeners as well, and we'd just like to know what city you live in, in France, or in Great Britain, I want to know or in the Russian Federation. Thank you so much for listening from there. I, I want to know what the good people of Singapore get from this. I'm assuming they're all expats, because I don't know what they speak in Singapore, to be honest, and I, we don't speak it. We do not. I'm curious. I think I figured out the Maryland thing, though. It's because I mentioned the wire like every third episode. It's probably it. That's the only logical explanation I've come up with. That and Silence of the Lambs, Baltimore. Oh, yeah, that's true. We do talk We do talk about Hannibal a lot. We do. But, I mean, that may be it. We just want to know, again, possibly how you found us, what you're listening to, what you like about the show. We, we're just really, really curious to know more about you because, again, we are, we're really about making friends and talking about movies. That's really what we're about here. It was really exciting to see those, those statistics, though. I'm, I'm, Podbean recently revamped their stats, and, and it was really cool to be able to get a, a visual breakdown of where people are listening to us from. So I, it's really awesome. Please do. Yeah, please tell us more about how you found us and what you like about us. And to skip the hall, this is not for feedback on the air or anything no. like that. We just want to know a little bit more about you because we're just curious, and we just want to know who's part of the conversation. And that's really what matters to us. But let's move this conversation forward. And as I look at my watch and I realize how the time has gone by, you know, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> this week's game is a discussion of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the dark night. We're dealing with kids' material made very, very grown up about very, very grown up questions and situations. And so that is our game. We're going to deal with kids stuff, but we're going to change it and we're going to say, we, this is a kid's thing we'd like to see adapted for adult problems and situations. So it's sort of like a Hello Kitty movie about immigration and how she has to get her green card. That's the sort of thing that we're doing with this week's game. I ask you, Dalton Stewart, what are your submissions? I want you to picture something, Dustin, if, if you would for me. It's a dank dank, frightening government laboratory where something ungodly and inhuman has gone on. A fusion of fur and flesh. Cat meets dog. Cat dog. I want to see Nickelodeon's cat dog reimagined as like some sort of weird Cronenbergian body horror a la splice. Because <laughs> even as a child watching cat dog and Nickelodeon I always thought to myself, this is really deeply weird. This is strange. Yes. They have no ass. They are fused at the stomach. Who poops? Who does the pooping? They're like a reverse human centipede. Well, don't, don't cats all poop out of their mouth anyway? That's the hairballs. It's hairballs, hair yeah. Right, so. so it's probably where. So don't make out with the cat side of them. Or own a cat ever. More from the Nickelodeon network. I want to see the tale of a young street youth, a uh, hood tough, living in New York City, going to the to mean public school. That's right, living with his grandparents. I want to see Hey Arnold, but as this, but kind of like Hey Arnold meets uh, Stand By Me meets, uh, what's that movie? Sleepers! There we go. Nice. Yeah, I want to see that. Finally, um, just thinking about Batman and, and comic books and, and superheroes and thinking about things that we love as children that kind of follow us into adulthood. 
I want to see the the grown up Star Wars film. I really wanted to see. I want you know. I I like that Star Wars is still in a lot of ways throughout its history for children in the films. Mm-hmm. But the kids get all the good spin off shit. They get all their cartoon shows and and you know that's fine. They got the Clone Wars series, which is really just awful and garbage. You know, we got though we got Clone Wars, like the, the the shorts from the guy that did Samurai Jack, and those were really cool and grown up and interesting and thoughtful. And I want more of that. I want to go to the Star Wars universe, and I need moral ambiguity. I want to see Boba Fett like trying to decide whether or not he should keep killing people for money. I need that. I want that in my life. So give me, please. That's what I want. Disney Corporation, do pay attention. One of the best things I ever saw. Speaking of, was uh, you know the, the T Fury and all those other places. You, you know you. This shirt's on sale for 24 hours, and it's usually some sort of pop culture mashup. It is the iconic Batman uh, animated, the animated series from the early 90s. You know, the opening shot at the end credits where the lightning flashes and his cape's flowing behind him. It's that, except it's Boba Fett. Nice. Uh, and Coruscant, and it's such a good t-shirt. So, that's a cool thing. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, Mr. Nick Sanford, what are your submissions for our game? Well, speaking of comic books, I want to see a really gritty, grown-up version of Watchmen. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> anyway, my real game, I want to see Barney, where Barney is a, uh, or he's he's a giant dinosaur, and he's a representation of the wrath of nature, and he has to come defeat monsters. That's, I, I like this. The, yes. the look on your face says that you realize that that's just Godzilla, but with Barney instead of Godzilla. Yeah, I'm wearing upside-down sunglasses. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, my submissions for the game is I would like to see a sort of a Godzilla version of Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> see, there you go, yeah. <laughs> I think Both of you. A, a good time would be had there, and uh, but not, I mean, obviously not all that seriously. I want to see a, a version of the Andy Griffith Show with oh, single dad, raising kid, and... Incompetent deputy, racism oh, no. the South, oh, and that God. crazily whistling theme can be done to creepy effect. Well, you know it's, what that just made me think of? What's that? Because it's of Ron Howard. Happy days, but you know, <laughs> the actual <laughs> yeah. or the actual fifties. Yes, the like, actual fifties. Like, um, like I can't even think of like guys coming home what from is war. What, you know, what, is, what is Ron Howard's name? Opie. Opie. Opie gets beat by his dad, and his only friend is this is this street youth. This violent gang member named the Fonz who has deflowered literally every girl in their small town. Just, yeah. Uh, as a serious uh, show. Yeah. Moms, moms are depressed because it's the 50s. They're all on pills and shit. Yeah, oh, so. don't play it totally serious. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I like that Andy Griffith show. Well, that's good. I think it'd be a good time. They might some sort of killer come to town, you know, come to Night of the Yeah, it's like, like, like Fargo. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, all of this for money? Yeah. I yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, brother love, brother hate. That's right. And so that would be good times, I think, and uh, those were my suggestions. Uh, let's move on, though, from our game to do what we always do. Let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Mr. Arthur Gordon, live with the Miners in Chile, if you would, sir. You know, guys, there are a couple things that got me fired up in pop culture this week. Not a lot, um, but there are a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, first thing, as always, it's that time of the year. It's a glorious time of year. Uh, it's the Criterion 50% off sale at Barnes & Noble, either online or in stores. Uh, you can pick up some really great movies uh, at a really good cost right now. Uh, I'm specifically looking at On the Waterfront, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which just made Criterion a few months ago, A Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, just some really fun stuff. Ace in the Hole, which just got re-released on Blu- uh, 
which just got re-released on Blu-ray. Uh, and so that's exciting. Ace in the Hole is a phenomenal film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, Billy Wilder, uh, brilliant film. Um, the other thing that I'm really fired up about right now is I picked up uh, Stephen King's new book. I think I mentioned it a, a few weeks back uh, in Fired Up. But uh, it's it seems to be really good. I think once I can actually sit down and develop some time to give to it, I think I'm just going to blow through it because it's, it's a really good read. And he's doing some really interesting things. And he's you know straying a little from that, just the straight horror, and doing some more social criminal type horror with a cop and a, uh, this mass murderer on the loose and it's it's gonna be a fun game of cat and mouse i believe and it's the first part of a trilogy which is also interesting and so i'm excited about that and in that uh, he's got another book slated for later this year uh and so that's also exciting because i love stephen king and so i can't wait to read more of stephen king stuff thank you for those things you're fired up uh for arthur and we also hope that they manage to get the kid out of that balloon be safe Nick, let's get you fired up this week in pop culture. No, what I'm fired up about in pop culture is I got the Halloween soundtrack, the Mondo release, on vinyl, and I got one of 300 extremely rare orange disc vinyls of the Halloween score, and I was listening to it all day today before I came in, just like planked on the ground, just enjoying it, almost drowned in my own drool because it paralyzed me and regressed me to... Did you know when you were buying it? It was I did not. That was the thing. I I don't know. I gave the guy my money for the vinyl and for the drugs. Oh, so you bought this in an actual? I I, I bought it in an actual store. Oh, cool. And guest room records. I'm guessing guest room records in Norman, Oklahoma. That's kind of what I figured. And uh, and I just went in there just hoping it would be there. And there were three copies there. And he said, "Huh, it'd be really cool if this was one of the special collectible orange disc editions they give out randomly." And I was like, it sure would be, but it probably won't be. And did, you, did you immediately go back to the record store and say, hey, I, it was! I almost called him, because I knew he still would have been there, because 45 minutes later when I got home and opened it up, I wanted to be like, oh, I want to call you and tell you it's right, but... No. So when did they? When did Mondo put that out? Uh, September of 2013. So they've been floating around for a while. Man. Yeah. That's really, and, really and they they sell for much more than what I paid for it on eBay already. The I orange ones? The orange ones, How yes. much? How much? I know uh, how much did you pay? How much did they typically? Seventy percent more than what I paid, or seventy dollars more than what I paid for. Wow, that's excellent. That's There's, pretty cool. And I'm hoping to get enough money to buy the Jurassic Park Mondo vinyl that they just came out with a few weeks ago. But I also have to eat and stuff. So, anything else? Other than these upside down sunglasses and my Batman boxers, no sir. Well, outstanding, Mr. Dollar Stewart. What's got you fired up this week in pop culture? Oh, well, not really uh, too terrible much. Um, so there's this author I, I kind of dig on uh, named Chuck Palahniuk, who uh, he wrote a book that was very famously adapted into a film um, by the same guy that directed that movie about the guy that ages backwards in the Facebook movie. I've heard of him. Yeah, Chuck Palahniuk wrote Fight Club. Uh, but he also wrote this book that I really like called Choke. Um, and I just happened to rewatch the adaptation of the film Choke, uh, directed by, written and directed by Clark Gregg, who is most famous for being uh, the what's his doodle from the uh, Marvel movies, Coulson, Phil Coulson. Uh, but Clark Gregg also is a writer and director, and he made this film uh, adaptation of the book Choke with Sam Rockwell. And I just really forgotten how much I dig on that movie. I really do. Um, it's it's not without its flaws. Uh, most of the flaws I think stem from the fact that they have like a million dollars and they. 
only have like two weeks to shoot. I mean, they had a very tight budget, a very tight shooting schedule. But uh, Clark Gregg's script really brings a lot of comedy and a lot of heart. And Sam Rockwell is just, as always, on top of his game, amazing in everything he's ever done. The other thing I'm fired up about is music that I discovered because of things I like anyway. Um, as Dustin's mentioned, there's this movie coming out called Dracula Untold. There is a song in Dracula Untold's trailer that's also featured in the new Assassin's Creed trailer, and it yeah. is uh, Lord, who's really famous for her song Royals, covering Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Man, that is a great cover. Oh, it's so yeah, good. It uh, secondly, um, and I, I kept hearing the song when Orange, Orange is the New Black Season 2 uh, released a couple, about like, what, a month or two ago? Uh, and there's this really cool song in the trailers for it, and it never occurred to me to just look it up uh, it's the song called The Jungle. Uh, it's a collaboration between this English kind of like blues folk guy called Jamie in Commons and this indie pop, indie rock uh, group called X Ambassadors. I, the only, honestly, I'll be honest with you, the only reason I've heard of these two is because they both are featured on tracks from Eminem's last album. It's the only reason I've ever heard of either of these groups slash artists. Uh, but they collaborate on this thing called The Jungle that's just this really kind of electric but also like dirty bluesy folksy just like awesome kind of wonderful song so music i'm not you know fired about music probably every three or four months but those both of those tracks i've been listening to a lot and really dig them so that's that's what's got me fired up well thank you very much mr Dolan stewart i am also fired up a little bit about music i've been listening to an artist called lana del rey yeah and her album ultra violence a bit lately yeah and uh, what's weird is I found her through Tumblr. I tracked the old Hollywood tag. Yeah, Tumblr's really in love with her. Yeah, it is. And the way I discovered, because old Hollywood is about old Hollywood movies and old Hollywood stars, and there's a lot of headshots and whatnot of people, but Lena Del Rey is frequently tagged accordingly because she has songs where she talks about James Dean and Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and all of that sort of glitzy glamour of the 50s and 60s in Hollywood. And she's amazing, and I love her, and you should listen to all of her music now. That's what I would say. The other thing that's going to be very fired up right now is I'm a big fan of Mr. Neil Gaiman, and everyone knows that. Yes. I, I love the Sandman series. I love American Gods. And Brian Fuller of uh, Hannibal, recent fame, is now attached to the HBO adaptation of American Gods into a series. Is it going to be a miniseries or like a series series? I think it's going to be a series series. I feel like it would probably work better as a miniseries. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited, and I think it can be done. God, I like Brian Fuller a lot. Did you ever watch Pushing Daisies? No. Good show. So those things have me quite excited, and culture is full of fun stuff. And It typically is. About which to be fired. We'd love to hear about what you're fired about, dear listener. And you can, of course, tell us all these things individually, personally, if you think our personal tastes would be more befitting than the show in general. And you can have that all via Twitter. Dalton, where are you at on Twitter? I am located at doll underscore stew on the Twitter, and you can also find me on Letterboxd. Nick, where are you at? Uh, uh, at Nick underscore Sanford on the Twitter and on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash broadcast pictures or just search for Broadcast Pictures on Facebook, and you can find all the things I'm spending a lot of my money and time on. They're Movie. funny and interesting. Movies! That's it. Excellent. Thank you very much. My name's Dustin Sells, so you can find me at my name, at Dustin underscore Sells, S-E-L-L-S, same thing on Letterboxd. I'm at iProtein on the Tumblr, and love for you to tumble right alongside me. There. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at a movie. This time, it's going to be host pick time, as we always do once a month. This month's picker of the nose and of the film is Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you, sir? 
when we set out to do really big films uh, for the the month of July, I, I was thinking about what my film was going to be because I realized after we decided, oh, it's, it's my pick again. Uh, so we're going to do a film that I've been wanting to do for a really long time this show uh, and had a couple chances to do. Then it went off Netflix. Then we decided we're going to lift our Netflix embargo and just kind of do whatever the hell we wanted. So we're going to do one of my all-time favorite action blockbusters, James Cameron's Aliens, which is, it shouldn't really be surprising to anyone because I've talked about how much I like that film a lot on this show. Very exciting. So I'm excited to talk about that. That's what we'll be talking about next week, uh, James Cameron's Alien. Yeah, we'll be talking a lot about the action movie aesthetic, I got a feeling. And so it's going to be a good time, dear listener. Take a look at that. Take a look at our Else and Instead recommends. There's a whole lot of homework for you there. And by all means, in the meantime, as you see those movies, see it with somebody you care about and have a conversation about how these movies are not just a conversation about stories that happen on a screen for 90 minutes and then are gone into the ether. No, no, it's more than just white light on a dark wall. It is so much more. It is about what makes life worth living and how you have those conversations live more meaningful lives. So do that, and until then, we'll see you next time. The world.